we have come to uh, the end of the summer, as I mentioned before, and we're also coming to the, this is the conclusion of our series that we started at the beginning of summer called The Invisible War. And as you saw within the video, we've been talking that we are in a war as Christians that we often don't think about. Um, that many of those are brothers and sisters who come from, uh, from different countries that know very, very well. And I've heard stories of individuals and just that spiritual warfare is much more of a reality in many of those places than we see and understand in our own Western world here in the United States. But we see that it is, it is a very real thing. And in some ways, I believe that we as uh, Anglo or American Christians have often forgot and, and, and for, we, we have failed to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. And that we do have enemies. We have enemies and we have allies. In the past several weeks and uh, actually the past few months, we've talked about those. That we have three enemies as believers. The world, which is this fallen world system um, that wars against God. We have the flesh, the evil that indwells us and that roars against God and wants to do what it wants to do. And then we have the devil. And that is the uh, fallen angel, uh, known as, he was known as Lucifer the light bearer, who was uh, God's worship leader in heaven and wanted worship for himself. But God cast him out along with the one-third of the angels that had sided with him in rebellion toward God. And they are now Satan and his demons that actually war against God and his, his people. But we don't just have three enemies. We also have three allies, as we've seen over the past several weeks. That our allies, uh, to, to, our allies are as follows. We have to battle the world. We have the church, the people of God to come alongside us, to lock arms with us, to encourage us, to pray for us, to battle the things of this world. We have to battle the evil within us. God gives his spirit. And the moment that you trust in him, God places, a, like in essence, himself in you to help dwell in you, to make you look in more and act more like Jesus. So we're in essence many Jesuses, if you will, and we're to be further transformed as we, we learn his word, we become more and more like Jesus as time goes on. And then to battle the, the heavenly forces, we have uh, God's angels that are sent to inherit those or sent to serve those to our, who are to inherit salvation. And those are of us who are tr- trusted in Jesus Christ. And we've learned over the past several weeks about the enemies. We've learned about the allies. We've also learned about uh, our clothing, if you will, our battle attire. And that is the armor of God that God has given for our benefit to battle. Battle in. We also have weapons. We have the weapon of the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God. That this, this Word of God is God's Word to us and speaks to us to transform us, to empower us, and to make us more like Jesus and also battle unbelief and the powers of darkness as we learn what God's Word is. And God has said within His Word that His Word will not return, uh, will not become um, null and void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which God intended it. And he's also given us the power of prayer, which we have talked about last week. And we've talked about all these weapons. We've talked about the battle attire. We've talked about our enemies and allies. But I want to conclude today with looking at who's going to win the battle. What I mean by this is all the stuff that's going on, the battle that's, that's being waged, that we see casualties left and right, that there is a victor. There is a winner to this battle, and that is God himself. That no matter what power of darkness that comes around, nothing can defeat God. Period. End of story. The game is fixed. It's been predicted. The end result is coming and it cannot be stopped. 
God has said what's going to happen, and no matter what is going to occur, it can't be stopped. That God and His purposes and His church will be victorious. As God said about His church, He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can stop it. People might fall. People might give in. There might be leaders and generals and people that sin and turn away. But God's purpose and the war will be won. And that is something that we need to bask in. That we need to understand that we're not... We're not fighting and battling for a position of victory, that we are battling from a position of victory. And as we go through our life, and as we are living life, we need to remember that Jesus is on the throne, that he is the one that's in charge. I'm reminded just of David. We know the story of David and Goliath. Young David, David is a youth, and he's getting ready to battle this giant Goliath. And he, he's the one that's going into battle. Not the soldiers, but this young shepherd boy is the one that's going to take on Goliath. And Saul, who's the king, says, well, you're not equipped to go into battle. And he puts this armor on him, and he says, you know what? I can't trust in this armor. But what he's saying there, and he actually comes before Goliath. He says, you come, with me with ja- come at me in, with javelin and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord our God. That's what I'm coming in. That I have an attire that is greater than any physical thing. And we've seen that within the Word of God time and time again, that the battle is the Lord's. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's who we as Christians trust in, that it's not in our physical power, it's not in our ability, it's not in our intelligence, it's not in our political influence, it's not in psychology, it's not in education, that it's in the name of the Lord our God. That's where our victory comes. And we must remember that as we go through life and as we are engaging in all kinds of different things and struggles and sins, that we go back and we have to remember that it is, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood as we saw within Ephesians, but we wrestle against the principalities, the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. But they are subject to God himself. Nothing can defeat him. Nothing. We have to be reminded of that truth. Because we have a tendency to trust in our own plans, our own strategies. Now, this passage that we're entering into today, to today is a little bit different than one that we would normally look at with spiritual warfare. It, it's, it's about Joshua. Joshua leading the people of God. Joshua had just taken over the mantle of leadership from Moses. Um, and if you remember, the people had disobeyed God. They had been brought out of bondage in Egypt. They had seen the miracles of God as God had wrought the plagues on the Egyptians. And they were finally brought out in this culmination of God bringing about the death of the firstborn sons in Egypt. God, and through Moses, is leading the people out of bondage. They come, remember, to the Red Sea. The Egyptians then pursue. God uses Moses to miraculously split the Red Sea. The entire nation of Israel goes through. And they are, they, are, they are free of the Egyptians because the water comes back and closes over them and they are all killed. And then they're to enter into the promised land, the, God, the land that God had promised them. But they did not obey, did not believe God. They had sent 12 spies. Joshua is leading Israel now. Moses, because of his disobedience, wasn't allowed into the promised land. So God sends 12, uh, Joshua, excuse me, sends 12 spies to spy out the land and bring back a report. And 10 of the spies come back with a negative report saying, we can't do it. It's too hard. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back saying, what are you talking about? It's too hard. We got God on our side. Are you kidding me? Have you not seen the fire? 
Have you not seen the sea how it's split apart? And so because they didn't believe God, God forced them to stay in this wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died off. And it's pretty interesting. I I figured this out. I mean, over a 40-year period of time, this whole generation had to die off. And I... Um, scholars believe that there were between 2 and 3 million Jews that had come out of Egypt. So let's say that there are 2.6 million Israelites that came out of Egypt. Let's just pick that number. If that's the case, then there were 65,000 people dying each year, which breaks down to about 5,416 people dying a month. That's 1,250 people dying a week. And finally, about 178 funerals a day for 40 years. Now, just to give you an idea of this, uh, Chicago's population is about 2.7 million, and they report about 20,000 deaths a y- in the city each year, which breaks down to about 1,666 people a month, 384 people a week, and 54 a day. So in essence, you are more than tripling the funerals of the Israelites. That's what was going on at that time. Now, so only Joshua and Caleb, because they had eyes of faith and they had wholly obeyed God, would be allowed to enter in. Even the great Moses, great Moses was denied entrance because he had failed to uphold the Lord as holy in the presence of all God's people. When God had told him to speak to the rock at Kadesh, he struck it twice because he failed to do what God wanted him to do. When we fail to do what God wanted want us to do, we're not upholding him as holy, as separate and revering him. So as Joshua leads this people, this generation had died off, 40 years had passed, the time had come, Joshua was ready. He instructed, uh, God instructed him to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And he uses the, the, the Israelites to pick up the ark. They go to the foot of the Jordan and step in, and then the waters part. And it shows that he is Moses' successor, that God worked through Moses, and he's now working through Joshua. And all the people enter in. And then he has the men to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant of God, because while they were in the wilderness, they hadn't been circumcised to show that they were God's people. That was the sign of the Old Testament covenant, that they were set apart to be used of God. And right after that, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And we know that Joshua goes to spy out the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is one of the, if not the most ancient city of the world. Um, it, is, it had walls about four and a half feet thick with a few thousand inhabitants. And God says, I want you to take this immense, this immense fortress of a city. So Joshua goes to spy it out. That's what's going on. And he is, he's checking it out, whether he's with all the people in their camp there or not. It doesn't say. It just says he was at Jericho and he looked up. And I want us to look at our text for a moment. That he says in verse 13, When Joshua was by Jericho, the Spirit is writing, uh, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, Joshua sees what he thinks is a soldier that's ready to fight. Now, he wants to know who this person is because this person looks like he is ready to battle. So Joshua calls out to him, calls out to him are you for us? Are you on our side? Or are you for our enemies? And he's thinking from an, a fleshly and earthly perspective. He sees a man and wonders if he's on one side or the other. Now, I want us to pause here for a moment because we see that he's someone else entirely. See, as we look at Joshua's physical war, we can see that there's something greater, a spiritual war that is going on. The conquest of the promised land was a literal conquest, yes, but it also symbolized a spiritual reality for us. 
God has delivered us through Christ out of the bondage of sin. He had led us, just as, as he led uh, the Israelites uh, out of bondage, the past of the Red Sea, he led us through the waters of judgment by our baptism. We've been cleansed and are new creatures, but we must progress in faith to enter into that all that God has for us, that promised land, if you will, that new life in him. We aren't to stay in that wilderness of our faith, but we must grow. And everything that we see in the Old Testament Exodus points to Jesus. Did you know that? It's all about Jesus, and, and it's all about him, and he appears on the scene, and it leads to him, that he is the second Israel. And so I want us to see that there's a parallel that's going on, that it's not just about Joshua, that it's pointing, and it's embedded within it something even greater, that just as Joshua led the people out of bondage, or, uh, or leading the people into the promised land, Jesus enters us, or leads us into a new life in him. And we see that, that Joshua, uh, so we get that imagery, so we can see a little bit of the New Testament. It's a foreshadowing just of what Jesus did. But I want us to park for a moment on what's going on in this passage. That he comes up and he sees this guy. And, he, and this guy says to him, I'm not for you, and I'm not for your enemy. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have now come. He's changing his perspective. See, if we're gonna, he, he needs to change his perspective. He needs to see things differently rather than just through his earthly eyes. He needs to see things through God's eyes and what God has. See, we need to go through God's word and get our perspective changed all the time. See, that's the first thing that I want you to write down. We need to rethink our perspective. If we're to live this victorious life and we're to understand what God has given us in and through Christ and how we are to live victoriously, we need to rethink our perspective. We need to see things differently. And we can't just see it in, in, in this earthly way. We have to see it through spiritual eyes, spiritual lenses, if you will, that enable us to get clear views of who God is and what he is doing in and for us. We have to rethink our perspective. We need to remove the lies because the lies of the world, the lies of the devil come in on us and they keep us grounded and not living in truth. See, that's the problem that most of us have is that we take off our faith lenses and we're left with the lies of the devil and the lies of the world and we can't see things clearly, just as I can't see things very well without my glasses or my contacts in. Consider, for example, this past week. And we've all seen uh, the stuff that's been going on in the news. We saw more of the fallout from the adultery website, Ashley Madison. You guys paid attention to that. You've seen different people going down. Uh, you're hearing about leaders that are falling and people that are ca- caving in. But there's been these uh, computer experts that have been looking into the data that was dumped by the hackers. 37 million names were out uh, that were released to the public. 37 million people signed up for this adultery website, which is known by the moniker, Life is Short, Have an Affair. Okay? And all these people did it. What's amazing about it, though, is when you look at the names and all that have been involved in it. For example, when you examine the data, it gets actually even more sad. Out of that 37 million, 31.3 million of those users were men. 31 million were men. Only 5.5 million were women. Now, men have to actually pay to use the site, and if they want to talk to a woman on the site, they have to pay credits. Women don't have to do anything. Okay, so it's making it free to the women, but making the men pay for it. So it's 31 million men, 5.5 million were women. But here, here, here's even where it gets even more depressing. Of that 5.5 million, only 12,000 12, actually had any activity actually after the initial sign-up. So what that means is this. Those were fake and bogus names that were signed up because they all had AshleyMadison.com. So in essence, the company 
was paying their employees to create fake profiles of women. So these men are having conversations with men that don't, women that don't exist. That's even more depressing. And it just shows that these men believed a lie. They thought I could get by with it. No one's going to know. Life is short. Have an affair. Have fun. And now there have been two confirmed suicides because of the details that have gotten out, and it's ruining lives and marriages. They said this is the greatest payday for divorce lawyers in history. And it's all built on a lie. See, we have have this tendency to look at the world and look at God. And we say when God seems to be failing, we look at the world. We rely on other things of this world. And I've seen this not just in American culture. In American culture, we do this. But for my African brothers and sisters, for those who are coming from different countries, you do this the same thing. We just have different means of by which it happens. And maybe in your country, you might say, I'm going to trust in Jesus, but I'm going to go to the witch doctor. I'm going to wear the amulet. I'm going to consult the spirits. We go, I'm going to trust in God, but I'm going to really rely on the psychiatrist. I'm going to really do this and this comfort and this pleasure and my friend's advice rather than on what God has said within his word. We all have different avenues which we go where our unbelief goes, but we all must come back to what God has said within his word because his word is the only thing that cuts through any of that. And all the lies of our culture, the lies that we've been taught, the lies of this world can only be thwarted through the word of God. It's God's word that is constant. It's God's word that transforms hearts and minds. It's God's word that is living and active, that is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is God's word that is breathed out by God. We must remember that truth. Because people believe the lies. The devil says, you're never going to get caught. No one's ever going to know. If you do that, no one's going to know. By the way, the Ashley Madison hack has pornography sites out, freaked out because all of those who have used it, there's the, the danger of all of those names and you thought you might have used anonymously being released to the public. Now, there's forgiveness. Thank God. And here's one thing that God does. God clears your history. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you thought you got away with, God knows. And God is the only one that can delete your history. He's the only one because he paid the price for that history. It gives you new life in him. And though man may accuse, the devil may accuse, just as you see in the book of Zechariah, that you see Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua the high priest, a different Joshua, and he's accusing them. And, and basically, his, Joshua's robe and his tunic is all covered with excrement. But God takes that, gives him a new robe. Because God cleans. God transforms. God forgives. God is the God of hope. God is the God of second chances. That's what our God does. That's how amazing that he is. So we need to rethink our perspective. Now, if we're to live victoriously, we must believe what the Word of God says, but we must go further. See, believing what God says and living victoriously, as Joshua did, meant seeing God present in our situation. You have to understand that God is with you. God is with you. Now, for example, we get an idea. We're trying to figure out who is the identity, who is this guy that he's talking to. Now, some scholars believe that he's just an angel, uh, an angel of the Lord. I think it's a little bit more than that. I mean, I, I think when, and it's through different clues because he calls him, uh, he says, who are you and are you for us or for our enemies? And I want us to look at the text and see what is said there. In verse 14, no, neither, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua, look at his response. He falls on his face. Now, 
That's not uncommon for saints to fall down, even at uh, angels. But it says that he fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him. Now, we understand that in the book of Revelation, when John bows down to worship an angel, the angel freaks out and says, No, you must not do that. This guy doesn't stop it because he's God. This is God himself showing up. We call this a pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus is appearing in the Old Testament. There are different times where Jesus appears. You have it with Abraham and two visitors. I mean, Abraham welcomes the three guests. Two are angels. One is God himself. That's Jesus. It's what we call a pre-incarnate Christ. And Jesus is there with drawn sword in hand. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And you continue to see this identity of how he is treated I am commander of the army of the Lord, now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now the word that's used for Lord there could be used in different instances, not just referring to God, but when we look at the greater context and the clues that are there, I believe that this is God himself, especially how he responds. Look at verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing now is holy. It's another showing that Joshua is Moses' successor, by the way, because the other time that anyone had to take off their shoes was Moses when he was by the burning bush. So he's saying that where you're standing right now is holy. Why is it holy? Because I'm here. Because I'm God. And he, I am with you. I am here right now. I am present in your situation. What situation are you facing? Do you know that God has promised not to leave you nor forsake you if you are truly trusting in Jesus Christ? He has said that I will be with you always, not when times are great, not when just times are tough. I will be with you always. That's an amazing promise. And you see that time and time again within the scriptures. God promises to be with his people. You know, that means a lot to us. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you've experienced that in your life. I'm sure that we all have. I I, I see that played out in a minor way with my son. My son is uh, five and a half years old. His name is Elijah. Okay, if you see someone like a human little pogo stick jumping around, that's him. And, and he uh, had to go, he started kindergarten this year. Okay, he was excited about kindergarten, ready to go off to school. His mother was not excited for him to go off to school. A lot of tears were cried um, just seeing him grow up. And he's, he's becoming a brave boy. And my, mo- my, my mom, my wife, I'm going to get in trouble for that later. My wife, uh, when he had to go get shots, she said to him, said to me, she goes, you're taking him. Because <laughs> I've had to take him before, and it was not a pleasant experience. So she goes, you're taking Elijah to go get his shots. So I said, okay, we're going to take him to get his shots. So I'm trying to make a really good time. Yeah, Elijah, if you're brave, you get a shot. You're gonna, I'm going to give you an icy after 7-Eleven. He's now excited about it. But he, he, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go to get his, I said, Elijah, are you ready to go to the doctor? And he, he didn't want to go. But you know, it's interesting, he didn't want to go, and he didn't even want to go in the back until I said to him, I'll go with you. Suddenly that changes things. I'll be with you. My dad's with me. The fear is not there. You're not by yourself. You have someone that you know you can trust, someone that's going to protect you, that you know loves you, that's going to be with you. And then he went in there, that little guy, he sat down, he did all the tests that he was supposed to do. And she goes, well, it's time for a shot. I said, you're getting a shot, buddy. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand there. I want you to, I want you to look straight ahead. And I want you to be brave. And, it, and, and he goes, okay. And she, the, the nurse comes in the door. He stands up. He st- I'm, he's sitting on me. He stands up, faces the door, and goes. 
And she's like, you got to sit down. <laughs> so he sits down. And I said, just be brave, son. Be brave. He looks, I said, you just look straight ahead and you focus. And then, boop. I said, is it hurt? No. <laughs> got another one. Boop. Hurt? No. Why could he be strong? Because his dad was there. We can be strong because our Heavenly Father is there. That God is with us. He's promised to, to be there with you. To go through the fire with you. You know, it's, that, it's like that old poem, Footprints. Remember that? That, that footprint? It's like, you know, when you see that there's, it's a, I can't remember all the details of it, but it's basically this, this uh, woman writes this poem about the two footprints that she sees on the beach. And she says, uh, she's talking to the Lord and says, I see when it got the most difficult times, Lord, that there's only one set of footprints. And that's when Jesus says to her, it's then that I carried you. It's a great picture of that. Uh, someone has put a little, another little verse onto it. And he says, that, see that, gro- Lord, I see that groove. What is that? And he says, that's where God says, that's where I dragged you. <laughs> it's very true. Sometimes that's how we are. We're rough and we're, we're, we're very difficult people at times. But see, God is there with us. God is with you. God is with you in the midst of your, your situation right now. Whatever it is, he's there. He's there within the midst of your financial situation. He's in the midst of your marriage. He's in the midst of your children. He is there with you. The struggles that you have, the addictions that are coming on you, he is there and he's offering to set you free, to give you that power to say no to sin and put that to death. But it only comes by faith in his name and trusting in him. And that's when he gives his spirit to you to help you say no to sin and yes to righteousness because of grace that comes. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And we realize that we don't have to be enslaved to that power any longer, but we can be set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what else, we, uh, Josh, what else Joshua saw according to verse 13. Um, he's got a drawn sword. This guy has a drawn sword, and it's God. And the under, we have to understand that not only is God present in our situation, he's prepared to battle for us. That he's ready to battle for you. He's ready to be there for you. But it's for the glory of his name. Not just he does it for you, but he does it more for the glory of his name, and he loves you, and he's ready to intercede for you. But he wants to do it so that the glory of his name will be made known to the furthest reaches of the earth. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 11, Jeremiah writes, and you can look on page 648 if you want to in your pew Bible if you have one in Jeremiah, chapter 20. I'm going to skip around to a couple passages, one in Jeremiah 20, one in Ezekiel 14, 13. Uh, We're going to be in the Psalms and the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to be going through these rather quickly. If you want to try to keep up, that's fine. If not, uh, just lesson in. But in Jeremiah 20, verse 11, Jeremiah writes, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. The Lord is with me as a dreaded warrior. He's a powerful warrior. Look at Exodus 14, 13. This is a wonderful passage. This is when when they're getting ready to enter, uh, cross over the Red Sea. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. This is page 56 in your pew Bibles, or 71 in the large print. For which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. 
But I want to make sure that we don't just take that. That's not the end of the word on that. Look at verse, the next verse right there. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. Don't just sit there. Now, I will fight for you, but you've got to keep marching on. You've got to keep living on. You've got to keep following God. God will fight for you, but you need to keep following him as he reveals himself, and you take that step of faith. See, the thing is, is we want everything to be solved before we go do it. We want everything nice and neat. And God says, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. He may not reveal the light until you take that step. He wants you to take that step because he wants you to trust in him. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. Then God goes on. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. See, he's battling for us, but he's doing so for the glory of his name. And when we glorify his name, our joy in God increases. Because God has made us to enjoy him. And when we're enjoying him and, and, and God is doing his work within us, his name receives great glory and we increase in joy. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God, God is with us. Now, how do we respond to this truth? How do we respond to this? We see here that we, need, we must learn how to respond properly. Let's respond properly. This is how we respond. God reveals himself to Joshua, shows himself to be the commander of the army of the Lord, and how does Joshua respond? He hits the floor. We have to learn to respond par- properly. And the first thing we need to do is show reverence. We're not very reverent anymore of our culture, especially in our Western uh, American culture. We're very individualistic. We, are, we can have our voice made known across all forms of social media. And we don't have an understanding of majesty very much anymore, and especially of reverence and honor. That's where we look to some of our brothers and sisters in different cultures and see how they revere and treat God. We need to recover more of that to realize that He is holy, and by ourselves we are not. With Christ, we are made holy. But we must remember that we are addressing God. We're addressing God. We have to remember who we're talking to. The book of Ecclesiastes gives a great picture of this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. That's page 555 in your pew Bible. If not, you can just listen in. He's, the scripture says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing. What they are, that they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. So basically, you need to rethink who you're talking to, that you're addressing God, that He is the powerful one, that He is the God that is all powerful, that He is the one who gives life, that He is the one who sustains. We need to rediscover the power of God. But I digress. Reverence is not the only thing. After encountering God, we must prepare ourselves for what God has for us. Notice what Joshua does in verse 14. What does my Lord say to his Savior, or his servant? What does my Lord say to his servant? He wants to know what God wants of him. See, when we come and encounter God this way, we need to respond not just in reverence, but in readiness. Not just in reverence, but in readiness. We need to be ready to do what God, whatever he asks us to do. We can't sit around all the time. 
We must be ready to follow and take that step of faith because many of us are getting spiritually fat. I am tired and, and, and I hurt and I, and I feel for us as a body because when I hear people say, I don't have enough training, I look at what the early church did. They didn't have a lot of training. God shook the world through them. We have heard more sermons in our life and had been more privileged to more opportunities, more scholarship. We have the Bible access in our own languages and we are way beyond, light years beyond. And we seem to have all of these wonderful things but not the power any longer. So we have to go back. We need to be ready to do what God wants us to do because he's calling us to say, I'm not ready yet. As my grandfather used to say, hogwash. Hogwash. We need to be ready to do what God wants us to do. What is God calling you to do? What is God challenging you to do? What step of faith does he want you to take? Maybe it's, maybe it's he's calling you to, uh, to, be, to take that step of faith to serve him in some different capacity. Maybe it's to give. Maybe you've never given before to God. Maybe it's ca- taking you to have a greater sacrifice. Maybe he's calling you to sell everything that you have and be a missionary in a foreign land. What is God calling you to do? What are you ready to do? What are you ready to give up? Are you ready to give it up? God says, trust in me with everything. Give everything up and you'll get even more when you trust completely in me and what I have for you. We have to be ready for that. I'm, I'm reminded of the words of uh, John and Betty, Betty Stam. I don't know if you've ever heard of Betty, John and Betty Stam. They were missionaries to China in the early 1900s. Actually, Moody graduates, Moody Bible Institute graduates, who went off to the field to be missionaries. And Betty Stam said this. She said, Use me as thou wilt, Lord. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thy whole will in my life at any, at any cost, now and forever. At any cost. Well, let me tell you what happened. Her and her husband were captured with their infant daughter. And they ended up hiding their daughter away, and they were both led to execution. They both gave their life after they were three months, I believe, on the field. Not very long. But she said, Lord, I'm ready to be used, even if it means dying. The daughter miraculously ended up living and growing up and uh, being raised by different family members, and God worked something powerfully there. But their life was a testimony, and many people ended up being one and transformed. Matter of fact, as they are even being marched away, one man stood up and started defending them, and it caused other people to be more brave. He was executed too. But it caused people to go, what would, what would possess a person to stand up in the middle of that? Because you know why? Fear is contagious, but so is faith. When we stand up, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, when we can be that courageous, even if it means giving our lives for something, people want to know what would possess you to and face your fear like that. I want to know what that is. And that's because of Jesus. That we're to die so that others might live. Come to the saving knowledge of who he is. So we need to be ready. Now, The war that we are in is a difficult one. Satan doesn't play fair. The world does not relent. Our flesh will be inflamed by our fallen desires as we see those around us giving in and engaging all kinds and all manners of sin. But when the tempest rages around us, when the roof seems like it's about to cave in, when it seems that the faithful are are really faithless, we must hold on and rely on God's promise. Rely on God's promise. See, if we're to live victoriously, we must rely on God's promises within his word. People will fail. God's promises will not. People will fail. God's promises will not. 
See, we must cling to his promise. And God tells him, this is what I want you to do. And he clings to it. He follows it. But how do we hold on to this promise? First of all, it requires faith. Faith. See, God had promised the Israelites that they would be able to enter in and conquer the land. He's telling us that we need to have faith if we're go- and rely on his promises if we're going to have victory in our lives. Because without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, God doesn't work. Without faith, we don't have salvation. Without faith, there is no hope. Without faith, we can't walk on water. Without faith, we can't see the storm calmed. Without faith, there's no multiplication of manna. Without faith, people aren't healed. Without faith, there's no dead being raised. So we have to have faith, which is a belief rooted in promise that God is going to do what he promised to do. So not only does it require faith, but it also requires following God's word. Following God's word. God has revealed himself through his word. We must follow his word and what he says. And that's what Joshua does. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, uh, see, this is chapter 6, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams before the at horns before the ark. And the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, the shofar, when you hear the sound of the trumpet... Then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, This is what we're to do. Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. See, Joshua wasn't to deviate from it. God had given him a command, and he was to follow it. God has given and spoken to us through his word primarily. We're to see and do what the Word of God says. When I hear people say, I have a word from the Lord, I always want to know, are you doing what the Word of God says? Sometimes people want to add to it. We're not to add and take away. God still speaks to His people. It is not on the same level as Holy Scripture in any way, shape, or form. And it all must be tested. And if it does not agree with what God's Word says, it is not to be believed. But His Word is sufficient for us to live and to know what to do. Are we doing what it says? We must be following God's Word. Now, not only that, but we must be, remember his power, that God is the one that's powerful enough to bring this to pass. We have to rely on his power and not our own. See, we have a tendency to rely on our own plans. I believe that Joshua was investigating and trying to get plans and put them together, but he needed to rely on God's power. See, it's only God's power that can bring the real victory in our lives. You know, when I was, uh, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school, there was an auction that was going on at my elementary school. And I, I went with a friend just to be fun and have a reminisce. And we're sitting in the gym, and, and all these items are being auctioned off one by one. And um, I ended up hanging around just through circumstance because I see that the elementary school basketball scoreboard is up for auction. So it's this big scoreboard. It's about maybe um, five foot tall and a four foot wide, and it's got the old hand on it that would tick down for different things. And, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to see if I can buy this scoreboard. <laughs> So I raid around the auction, and, and it's the, the second-to-last item of the day. And there's no one else there except me and my friend. And the, the auctioneer starts off, $200, you know that thing that they go down, it gets down to 150 150 $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100, $100
Okay? Of course, I didn't tell my family that I bought this scoreboard. And I, I did what any teenager would do. I took it apart, and I put it in my bedroom. <laughs> and I reassembled this big, giant scoreboard in my bedroom. Seemed like a good idea at the time. And in my youthful ignorance, and uh, being unaware that there is a thing called 110 volts and 220 volts, I decided to take this 220 plug and jam it into a 110 socket. And it ended up causing the trip, the trip the fuse. And, and I remember my family came home. Why are all the clocks blinking? I had to, anyway, I had this big, giant scoreboard. And I'm sitting there, and people would come by, and they'd look at the scoreboard, and they said, well, how do you power it? I can't. I have this big, powerful scoreboard, but I don't have the right power source. So you can be big. You can be smart. You can have education. You can be skilled. You can be in order. But if you're not connected into the power source, it doesn't matter. We got to be kicked in. We got to be plugged into the right power source, and that's God Himself. And that's understand that we the battle is not ours. It's not yours. It's not yours. It is God's. And that means casting ourselves on Him and trusting in Him for His power and His purposes to be made known, not ours. See, we have this tendency to have our purpose, and we try to make God conform to our purposes. The reality is, is we need to get under God's purposes and His plans, and not our own. We need to hold on to Him and make sure that we are connected to the right power source. And it is not our power, but His. But you know what happens when we do so? We have to, I mean, and we remember His power. We have to remember that we can trust and rely on His power because He alone is able. That's the next point. He alone is able. He is the only one that can save your marriage. He is the only one that can transform your child. He is the only one that can help meet your financial need. He is the only one that can make streams flow in the desert place. He is the only one that can bring down the mountains. He is the only one that can transform a heart and mind of the hard, the most hard, difficult, and sinner. Only God can do that. Psychology can only modify behavior. God transforms the heart. We're not proclaiming a moralistic gospel just trying to make people feel better and sound better and look better. That is not the God of the gospel. The God of the gospel gives you a new heart and makes you a new creation and transforms you. That's what he offers through the cross of Christ, that you can become a new creature, a new creation, to be born again born from above. That's what God does. God is in the business of changing lives and bringing victory. And that's what the Israelites did. They followed God's word. They knew and they trusted him. They remembered his power. They'd seen it exhibited when they were in bondage in Egypt. They saw the sea split twice, the Red Sea and then the Jordan. And then they come up to Jericho. They look at Joshua and say, what are we to do? God says we're to march around. Okay, I'm not going to doubt him. I'm not going to doubt him if God says go around and do it every day. Full battle attire, we'll do it. And that last time, we're going to march around seven times. We're going to shout, God's going to do something great. And see, when we trust in him, we have to understand that God's going to do something awesome. Amazing. He will do something amazing and awesome in our lives when we trust in him. That he will make a way when there is no other way. That he will glorify himself. He will do amazing things when we trust and obey Him. He'll make a way when there is no other way. And I want to conclude with this last story. I shared this a couple of years ago about my friend Vishnu. 
friend Vishnu, I met him in my first class when I was in seminary, and he stood up one day. We were talking, a class was on spiritual disciplines and spiritual warfare, and he stands up, and often you'll have students share their testimony in class, and this one, though, I will never forget as long as I live. He stands up, and the first thing that he says is, my name's Vishnu, and I was demon-possessed. That's not a class you often hear about. You know, it's not a testimony that you often hear. And suddenly, I was paying riveted attention. And he talked about growing up. I can't remember exactly where he grew up. It could have been Sri Lanka. Um, and he said, as a young man, his family was Hindu. He said, we lived on a farm that uh, we rented from actually some people who were from Africa but practiced voodoo. And he said, uh, as a young boy, he said, uh, at, at the sun went down, my eyes would turn white. I would become violent. And he said, I would start uttering all of these profanities, and I couldn't be still no matter what they did. So he says, my father, in desperation, built a room on the side of the house that was completely enclosed with no windows. And he goes, at sundown, I was taken into the room, and they shut the door until morning when I wouldn't do it any longer. And his mother tried every, had all the Hindu priests tried their different spells and their incantations, and nothing worked. And she was desperate. And one day, it came to a head, and her fear was amplified greatly when the two, uh, the, the couple, the voodoo couple showed up at the house. They said, we've come for your son. We have claimed him and we need to sacrifice him. And that would freak out any parent. <laughs> Someone's come for my child to sacrifice them. So she turned to the only person that she, she only hoped she had left, which was her nephew. It happened to be a Christian and had been inviting uh, the family to services for some time. So she, she reluctantly, she said, take him. I don't have any other option. So he, he takes the young man, he goes to church, he hears the proclamation of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He repents of his sin and embraces Christ and God makes him into a new creature right then and there. Okay, because Christ is greater than all the spirits. He's greater than the powers of darkness. And so when they came home that night, the voodoo couple was standing afar off in the distance, throwing up dirt in the air, weeping and crying out. It's a true story. Crying out. There's, and and uh, this young man has no problem ever after that because he is freed. Because, see, that, that voodoo couple knew that their, their chain, their hold was broken because Jesus had come to set that captive free. And then what happened to that voodoo couple is they were killed three weeks later, actually in a car accident. So this young man is standing there. He's at graduate school, Moody Bible Institute, and he says, I've been set free. So that's what the gospel does, what the power of a God does. He sets free and he brings victory. We remember that some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Joshua trusted in God. The people trusted in God, and that brought great victory, and he will bring great victory in your life as well. Amen and amen. All right, let's, let's pray and close our message time. Father, I thank you that you are the God who saves, that you are the God who transforms, that you are the God who makes a way when there is no other way. And Lord, I pray that we might glorify your name, that we might go forth boldly proclaiming your word with love and compassion. Lord, that you've called us unto yourself. Lord, we know our sins. We know our struggles. Lord, you know them intimately well. And yet you choose, you still choose to use us, broken as we are. And Lord, please use us. May we walk in victory and give you the, the, the junk of our life, the struggles that we have. And Lord, we ask you to use them. We ask you to use us and transform and show yourself to be God. And Lord, if you transform, we, we delight and we praise your name. And if not, because Lord, we know that you will give us grace to bear up underneath it because your power is made perfect in our weakness. We pray that we might do so. Pray you glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.